0: Good morning, Hope Church. We're gonna remain standing and read from 1 John chapter four, or I'm sorry, chapter one, verses four through 10. Um, It says this, the word of the Lord, and we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light, As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray together this morning. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for uh, our time together today. We thank you as we... Come this Sunday of Advent, uh, of a, this Sunday of joy, and pray that you just instruct us and remind us of the way uh, that you desire to complete our joy and that our joy um, find its fullness in you. Uh, Lord, we just pray that your spirits preach a more profound, uh, more applicable second sermon than anything I can say or, or hope to say, and that uh, you just give us eyes to see and ears to hear your truth. It's in your name we pray, amen you can be seated. Good morning. Uh, I come to you from Lexington, or Will, really Wilmore, Kentucky, which is where I live with my wife Maria, who's with me today. Our girls are, are playing with their cousins that came in town from Miami this week, weekend, and so we let them hang out with grandparents today as we made our trek here this morning uh, and play with their cousins Um, I also come representing Commonwealth City Church, which many of you all know about, a church that that this church, that Hope Community Church, helped start and plant in Lexington. And so I uh, was even, as I'm preparing this morning, you know, sending a prayer text and and checking in on how things are going back at Commonwealth. Uh, We love this time of year as we ramp up for Advent, ramp up for the the Christmas season. Uh, It certainly is a season that should have a lot of joy, but let's be honest, there are things that compete for our joy all the time, right? Like we talk about this verse and really, uh, I read a whole selection of scripture there from 1 John chapter one, but I really wanted to focus in on verse four. We're writing these things to you so that your joy or our joy may be complete. The truth is, there's a lot of things that compete for the completeness of our joy, or the completion of our joy. Circumstances compete for our joy. Um, Hardship competes for our joy. Affliction competes for our joy. There's lots of things. The current state of the economy can compete for our joy. There are a lot of things that can compete for our joy, and if we're not careful, we'll start to be people that are excuse makers. Well, I would be joyful, but. I, I, I would, I'm trying to pursue joy, but there's this. And, and if we're not careful, we'll let those things that can compete for our joy, be, give the microphone to them and let them be very loud in our life. Um, the problem with that is that the scriptures point a, point a, paint a picture, give a point of view, a perspective of people that had much greater hardship than we had and yet remained incredibly joyful. The Apostle Paul on multiple occasions Whether he was imprisoned or um, being beaten or stoned uh, or in severe affliction had a thread of joy in all of his writings probably most notably the book of philippians we're not going to be in the book of philippians today but if you need a reminder of how to remain joyful in all circumstances i encourage you to read the book of philippians uh, we hear of the church in Corinth, and Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, the church in Corinth that in spite of their great poverty and in spite of their great affliction, gave from an abundance of joy. Always. And so if there, are, seems, to be, uh, if, if there seems to be biblical reasons to not make excuses for the joy that we have, or the joy that we should have, then that must mean there's something to this verse that John writes we're writing these things to you so that your joy may be complete. Now I'm gonna say at the end, but I'll say it now too, that choosing joy is not as easily easy as just flipping a switch, right? We believe that joy is one of those uh, fruit of the spirit, one of the fruits of the spirit. We read about it in Galatians chapter five, that it's promised that we have a life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control as a byproduct of what it means to trust God and to possess the Holy Spirit, absolutely. We believe that joy is gifted to us and, and given to us through the Holy Spirit. But that being said, there is still a reason to fight for our joy, to fight for our rootedness in Christ so that joy may be complete. So we're gonna look at this, and we're gonna use this verse, especially five through 10, as a bit of an outline for some indicators in our life that joy is complete. Okay, so it says this in verse 4, just to to recap, we're writing these things to you so that your joy may be complete. Well, how, what indicates that my joy in Christ might be complete? Let's look together. Verse 6, we see kind of right out of the gate that if we have fellowship with him, fellowship with him um, while we walk in darkness, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness and we lie and don't practice the truth, which gives us this kind of uh, you know you kind of have to read through it with a little bit of you have to comb through it a little bit it says that if you are to have your joy complete an indicator of your joy being complete there's going to be five of these is that you're in fellowship with God and that you do practice truth now let's talk about what some of that might be what's it mean to be in fellowship with God what's it mean to be in fellowship with God well I think the first thing it means is that we join him in light of the gospel that the gospel illuminates new identities for us Now we had a baptism video that we got to see today. Um, Next service, they'll see an actual baptism live. But for those of you that have ever seen a baptism or, or ideally have been baptized, there usually is something that's said over a baptism right? You've heard this before. You know, the pastor raised his hand, you know, they plug the nose or whatnot. We said it in the video. And we're commanded to do this scripturally. And a pastor or someone, we don't always believe a pastor has to baptize, but whoever's doing the baptism usually says, I baptize you in what? The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, if we're not careful, we will view that phrase as just kind of like a magician saying abracadabra, right? Like, this is the thing you're supposed to say at the baptism part of the service. You're supposed to say this little phrase. And, and the point is for it to not become routine or for it to become like a seance. The point is for we are speaking a truth over people that are being baptized. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that you're baptized. In fact, when we look at scriptural encounters of people with Jesus, they came out with a different name often. Often, their interaction with Jesus gave them a different name, and your baptism kinda gives you a different name too because you're baptized into a new name, that of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me explain what this means. These are identities that people are baptized into, that I've been baptized into, that you've been baptized into. You're baptized into a new identity of knowing God as your father. So if we're going to have fellowship with God in light of the gospel, that the gospel illuminates new identities for us. One of, one of it is this, is for the first time in my life, when I become a Christian, when I put my faith in Jesus, that for the first time in my life, I get to actually know God as my father. He's my, I, he's my father, and, and there's nothing that separates me from him anymore. Like Jesus says in, in John chapter 14, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father, except through him, right? So I get baptized into identity of sonship. Or if I was a female, daughtership, like I get to walk in a new identity. In fact, when I do weddings. When I do weddings for young couples, our church is full of young couples, our young people, whom, some of whom are becoming couples. And as I get to do weddings for them, one of the things I always say at a wedding is you're gonna be tempted to believe that the greatest identity you possess today is the, name, the title husband or wife. But the greatest identity you possess today is dearly loved son or daughter of your heavenly father. That's the greatest identity. The second one is where we're baptized into the identity of the son, which means that we can now see Jesus as our brother, as our co-heir, but as our king, as our king. And, and I know it's like, you know, kind of different for us in in, in the, the 2000s or 2020 or 2022, almost 2023, it's different for us in this day and age because we don't regularly serve a king or see a king. You know, we don't live in the, well, we don't vote in kings in, in this country. And so some of that dynastic mentality or kingdom mentality is kind of culturally removed from our frame of reference. But the Bible says that when we are baptized into the name of the Son, it's to see him as our king, risen and reigning, the grave empty, the throne occupied, and we get to be a servant of that king. So it, it gives us the identity that we're now family with God. It gives us the identity that we are now a servant in the kingdom. And the third is we're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit which means that we believe that we possess the fullness of God. The fullness of God is pleased to dwell in us. His Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts, which means that everywhere we go, we go intentionally because the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything on accident, does he? Everywhere we go, we go on mission because the Holy Spirit isn't doing anything unintentional or lackadaisical. Everywhere we go, we go carrying the fullness of God into every circumstance. And so our identity doesn't just, I'm not just Andrew that God baptizes anymore. I am a member of God's family, dearly loved son, a walk in sonship, I am a participant in the kingdom. I live as a representative and an ambassador of Christ and get to serve my king. And thirdly, I am a, someone that possesses and is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in me and sends me into a life on mission. I have a new identity. And an indicator that my joy is complete is that I am walking in the light of this new identity that I possess in Christ. The second one is that I practice truth. That I have a relationship with the holy word of God. That it's not just there to collect dust, it's there to inform my life, not just in things to do, but inform my life of the God that I serve and the God that loves me and the God that has a purpose and plan for me. It's there to to be what what I recognize as my... living authorities, and which I submit my life under, that I don't make decisions. We're, we're walking through the book of Ruth in our church for the Advent season, and, and today we're preaching on Ruth chapter 3, but the beginning of the book of Ruth starts with a with a sentence. It says that, the, that, that these were the days of the judges in Israel, and if you know anything about the book of Judges, it wasn't, it wasn't the best book. It wasn't the best story. Uh, it's not one that ends well. In fact, the last line of the book of Judges in the Old Testament says that this was an era, this was the day that there was no king in Israel and people did what was right in their own heart. And let me tell you, it didn't end well for that. When we we live as our own kings and our own gods, it's a struggle. And, And the truth is, if we're not listening to the one that we submit ourselves to, it's gonna be a struggle. The one that we should submit ourselves to, it's gonna be a struggle. If the person we listen to the most is ourselves, Man, we're in for we're in for a, a, a lot of uh, a lack of blessing, a lack of opportunity, a lack of purpose, a lack of passion, a lack of leadership and guidance. We're to be people that practice truth. That's an indicator that we that our joy is complete, that we practice truth, that we listen and respond. Galatians chapter five says that if we were to walk in the spirit, we have to keep in step with him. Do I believe that we need to respond to the the word of God as it's bound in our Bibles? Absolutely, but I also believe that we have the ability to hear the voice of God ourselves. In fact, in John chapter 10, he says, my sheep know my voice. Do you know what's required to hear the voice of God? It's just to be a sheep doesn't say there's any other skill required that he knows exactly how to speak to you and he has formed your heart to know exactly how to hear him. So we fell, have a fellowship with God, we walk in a new identity. That's one indicator that our joy is complete. There's five of these. We practice truth. That's a second indicator. We both hear the word and we respond to the word. The third is that we have fellowship with each other. One of the great oxymorons of the New Testament is to be a Christian that's absent from community. It didn't happen. It didn't happen in the New Testament church and it shouldn't happen today, but time and time again, I meet people all the time that they believe in Jesus, but I just don't know if the church is for me. I just don't know if that's where I belong. I just haven't been able to find that community yet. Okay, to be a follower of Jesus is to be be family with other people. Even New Testament believers that found themselves in places of isolation, most notably places of imprisonment or jail, and probably Paul more than anyone else, he intentionally recognizes how he still seeks to both participate in and receive encouragement from community throughout the entirety of the New Testament. It's an important part of what it means to have complete joys that we have fellowship with each other. Not only that, but if we have fellowship with each other, it makes discipleship a whole lot easier. Jesus didn't disciple a bunch of 12 individuals, he discipled 12 in a group. And he said, I'm gonna take this group and I'm gonna make you look more like me. And so when we intentionally follow Jesus with other people, which means accountability, it means encouragement, it means letting other people be the hands and feet of Christ to you and you being it to others. It means being life on life together with what it looks like to to wrestle with and and struggle with the things of our faith. It means being life on mission together to be the church of Jesus. We say this uh, at our church in Lexington all the time. I wanna, I want to, um, this is something that I say often like stop inviting your friends to church unless you mean your life if you mean your life then you can invite them to church because you're the church now please invite people to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 and 10 30 that's fine but let's just get our words right you and I those of us that believe in Jesus are the church of Jesus and so if I'm inviting someone to church it better be if I'm inviting someone to church it better be to mine and Maria's life to our family to our home not just the thing that we attend on a Sunday morning the fourth, there, I'm sorry, the, the, the next way, the fifth way that, uh, that we need to, to be in truth or an in indicator that our joy is complete. So we've got fellowship with God. We practice truth. We have fellowship with each other. The next one is that we are aware of our sin and our desperate need for God. We have an awareness of our sin and our desperate need for God. I mentioned earlier that we listen to ourselves a lot, but we need to preach to ourselves more. Preaching is not just for the guys up here on Sunday mornings. Preaching is, is, is a, a really a, uh, we've kind of changed the word. It's really the word proclaim or to herald. You know, like if somebody, we don't do this anymore. Uh, actually, my, my, we watch the show Bluey a lot. I don't know if you watch the show Bluey on Disney+. Plus. If you don't, let me just go ahead and say that Bluey's for all ages. It doesn't matter if you have kids in your life or not. Bluey's an incredible television show, and I'm a huge advocate for it. But there's a, there's a scene in Bluey where uh, it's a family of blue healer dogs, it's animated. It's a family of blue healer dogs. And the dad is in their Australian, they talk with an Australian accent. It, seriously, it can't get any better. <laughs> um, but there's a, there's a scene where the dad enters the kitchen And he says, dad's here, you know, and all the kids basically kind of ignore him and he gets kind of frustrated. He's like, did you not hear that I entered the room? And he goes back and he starts it again. He says, dad's here. And they're all like, yay. You know, like they jump around and get really excited. Well, that's what it means to herald the things of Christ. Like we don't need to assume a future that God's not in, do we? You wanna talk about giving anxiety a foothold in our life. We oftentimes assume a future that's absent from the presence and the work of Jesus when we can count on it being there. God's in the room. He's always there. And if we're going to be people that preach to ourselves, it's not about us having a five-point sermon. It's about us being able to proclaim the truths of scripture to our very lives and the truths of Jesus to our very lives. We need to proclaim to ourselves. We need to herald to ourselves, dad's here. He's walked in the room. He's not ever left the room. God's here and with us. That's number five, that we are aware of our sin and our desperate need for Christ. And then the last one, I'm sorry, number four, this is number five, the last one, um, that we are people of confession. We're going to talk about that more at the end, that we are people of confession. So five indicators that our joy will be complete is that we have fellowship with God through the in light of the gospel, those identities we talked about, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm part of his family. I'm a servant of his son, the king, our king. I am uh, a... Person on mission empowered by the Holy Spirit. Number two, that we practice truth. We listen and obey. The Old Testament word for, for obedience is the same word as listen. It's the word Shema in the Old Testament. Did you know that? They don't have separate words for listen and obey. They are one and the same. The third is that we have fellowship with each other. The fourth is that we're aware of our sin and desperate need for Christ. And we see all this in, this, in these verses, five through 10. And number six, that we are people of confession, that we confess our sin. And so he is faithful and just to heal. Now, here are are four indicators that our joy might not be complete. So five indicators that our joy is complete. Four indicators that our joy isn't complete. We'll go through these quickly. Number one, it's kind of the opposite, that we're unmoved by truth. We are people, we can be people that are unmoved by truth. That my life displays my belonging, that my belonging to God is in question. Have you ever met people like this? Or have you ever been this? Like you think you, you've messed up too much in a row and that oh, God's got to be upset with you. And he's got to be mad. I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago at our church that when we were first in the, in the journey of church planting, we planted in a neighborhood in Lexington called Irish Town. And it was a neighborhood that, that um, just had a lot of hardship. And uh, there was a man that, was, that literally lived next to our, our little building that we gathered in, and uh, his name was Donnie. And Donnie had a pretty significant rap sheet Um, he had a pretty, had had a pretty significant journey. In fact, there was one, one week that we were talking at church about, um, knowing each other's story, fully knowing each other's story and being able to hear each other's story. And Donnie went home and got all of his medical records from his psychiatric stay and brought it to me. And he said, well, here's my story. You want to read it? Preacher gave it to me. Um, when we first interacted with Donnie he wouldn't come in the church building because he was convinced, our little building that we met, and he was convinced the floor, floor would fall through or the roof would cave in on him because God couldn't be happy with him and the way that he'd live. Now, I don't know if you've met people like that before. They may, may not have thought that acutely that that would accurately happen in, in, the, in the context of a building. He literally believed this and we had to try it out. We tried on like Thursdays, you know. If, maybe if God didn't strike him dead on Thursday, there was a chance that he had for Sunday too. And um, you know, we, we come to find out the building stood up. And if the building collapsed, it's because it was in disrepair. It wasn't because of Johnny, or Donnie's sin. Um, and so he, he gave it a shot, but his life displayed that his belonging to the Lord was in question, which is an indicator that his joy might be incomplete. Another indicator that your joy might be incomplete, this unmoved by truth, an indicator that, that you might be unmoved by truth is that other sources dominate your view of the world and your view of how you should live. Other sources dominate your view of the world And how you should live it's so easy to replace the bible as the lens in which we view the world and view our life it's so easy it doesn't even take much effort it's in fact gifted to us all the time here's a question to kind of consider how easy is it for you to live a whole day and not interact with the word of god now listen y'all i know we're in church and you're not supposed to answer easy okay you're supposed to be like i'd never do that okay but listen i'm a pastor and there are days that it's hard for me, that it's easy for me, I'm sorry, to live a whole day and talk around my faith a lot. I'll even pray for people and not submit myself to the Word of God for my own heart. It's easy to do, it's, it's not that difficult. I'll, I, might even read, I might even open the Bible, but I'm reading it to answer someone else's question or to talk about someone else's issue. It's easy, it's easier than I'd like to admit for me to live a day and not interact and submit myself to the Word of God. In fact, we see this statistically. Uh, a man named George Barna, his organization does research. It says 16% of Americans practice reading the Scripture most days during a week. 16%. It's like one out of six. One out of six would say it's most days, not every day, most days of the week that they actually put themselves under the Word of God or in the Word of God. And so, it is not difficult for us to go whole days, or whole weeks, or whole months without submitting ourselves to the word of truth, to, to the truth, both the person of truth and the truth that he speaks. The second indicator, so that's the first, that we're unmoved by truth. The second indicator that our joy might be lacking or incomplete is that we're isolated. Physically, we might be removed from people just in in loneliness or isolation emotionally. We might be around people, but we kind of keep our guards up, keep our walls up. We don't let ourselves feel or certainly don't let ourselves express those feelings. Or spiritually, we might be isolated in the sense that we are not journeying in community with other believers, that we speak into their life and they're speaking to ours. 31% of adults report feeling lonely at some point every single day. Almost one out of three adults Report feeling lonely at some point almost every single day. So here's a question to evaluate yourself on this: If you are honest with yourself, you're not gonna, we're not going to put this on the screen. What arena of your life are you too isolated in? What arena of your life is it? Mentally? Is it emotionally? Is it physically? Is it spiritually? Is it all of the above? Are you too isolated in? It's an indicator that your joy might be lacking. The third is that we're oblivious to sin. We're oblivious to it. Or we think it's not consequential. You know, we think we kind of have it on a, le- like we've tamed it. It's like we have it on a leash. I've heard a pastor say before that um, there's always a, a, a grave analogy in those, like when animals attack videos. If you've ever seen those on like Facebook or YouTube or something like that, where somebody thinks that they're, you know, maybe it's, a, it's oftentimes like, uh, like a, the magicians use, you know, really dangerous animals or, or somebody might use them in an ad or a marketing ploy where they're using a really dangerous animal and they think us oh, you know you know this will never happen like you'll see the headline girl you know model in swimsuit mauled by the tiger you know and it's like huh how did that happen right like who would have thought that that would have happened that a tiger would do exactly what he was supposed to do that we could have somehow tamed him out of his apex predator identity right we become oblivious to our sin we're too permissive with it. We make excuses for it. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 says that we are to put to death what is earthly within us, not garden it, not make space for it or conceal it, but to put it to death. Um, we Places that sometimes will go to detach and even just sins that we will let ourselves linger in, if we're not careful, we'll turn linger into living there and we'll turn dabbling into dwelling there, won't we? I know if I'm left to myself, even if I let my mind or my heart uh, engage in a sinful thought or in a a sinful temptation, whether that's pride or greed or lust or jealousy or envy or bitterness, if I let myself go there a little bit, I think it's just scratching an itch that I can just linger there for a moment and then back myself out. But the reality is it becomes extremely easy to live there. And what I think is entertaining bitterness actually becomes dwelling in it. Is there so a question that we'd ask here, a place of being oblivious to sin, is there an arena of your life that you think you have under control and it couldn't be improved by Jesus? Let's be honest. Is there an area of your life that you think, no, Jesus couldn't improve this? <laughs> if there is, then that could be an area, that could be an, an indicator that your joy is not complete. And lastly, so the three I'm gonna recap, unmoved by truth, both the person of truth and, and the truth that he gives us. So we're isolated, we're oblivious to our sin. These are four indicators that our joy in Christ is incomplete, and then lastly, that we are people of denial. Remember, see, catch that last verse? If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word that is not in us, we're people of denial. And here's, here's how I'm gonna frame that for us, that we, don't, we aren't people of confession. We aren't people that are honest or confess about our needs or the condition of our heart or where we, where we really need, desperately need the Lord. So here's kind of our question to consider on how, how we are people of denial. When's the last time that you told someone, actually told someone out loud from your mouth, sin in your life or a place of need? When's the last time you did that? It's shocking how easy it is that the only person that becomes aware of our struggles and our needs is ourself. It's shocking how easy that is, that they're the only, and we put on our, you know, and there might be people that know us well enough to like read it on our face or read it in our body language and and could maybe like go go into a deeper place with us, but it's so easy to keep that to ourselves that we become people of denial rather than people of confession. And so again, I wanna kind of bring us to a conclusion here where there's indicators that our joy might be complete. There's indicators in this text that our joy might be incomplete, And then we come back to this reality of what does it mean to choose joy? I thought, Andrew, I thought you said at the beginning that was a gift from the Holy Spirit. Well, it is. It is a gift to the Holy Spirit. But what we can do is not make joy grow in our life, but we can fight for the presence of God in our life. We can fight for how we root re-root ourselves in truth. We can fight for how we walk in light of the identities that God has given us for those of us that follow Jesus. We can fight for those things with a great effort to see joy produced in our lives. And so I wanna give you this final conclusion on three ways. So I've gone five, four, three. We're not gonna do a two and a one, okay? Three ways to fight for joy. Number one is to get in fellowship with truth. Get in fellowship with truth with the Lord ultimately as truth, but also with what he says. I, I, I meet every week with, an with he'll be 80 in March, an 80-year-old gentleman that speaks into my life. His name is John Withers. And he says he gets up every day, every single day, and he says, I'm reporting for duty today, Jesus. He gets in fellowship with truth every single day. I've heard my dad practice. Now, he doesn't practice it out loud necessarily in the mornings, um, but I've heard him say that every day he pledges himself or gives allegiance to Christ. We report for duty. Number two, we, we are part of that fellowship with truth. Another way is we get ourselves in the word. I don't know for you what that looks like. Okay, for some people, it's getting up at five in the morning and, and being devotional. And I don't want to be legalistic with, you must do it this way. But, but fellowship with truth means that you're going to have to regularly put yourself in positions that interact with the word of God, whether that's spending time with, with the Bible open at your breakfast table, whether that's listening to, to an online devotional or a podcast or a sermon or something like that. Like, but get yourself, immerse yourself in the word. Start your day off with a simple prayer. Find, find a prayer model that, that's fitting to you. For a lot of people, they use the Lord's Prayer. Some people use different acronyms of how to pray. Like, I've heard, like, you know, confession, adoration, thanksgiving, and supplication. It's the word cats, you know, so go cats, Kentucky. That one's easy, okay? You know, I've heard tons of those, but like, put yourself in, in, in consistency with a consistent prayer. Uh, pastor at our church, Kurt, says all the times, he said, if the Lord, in asks us to pray without ceasing it must mean that he intends to listen without ceasing and so we have to live for that the second thing we do to fight for joy so the first is get in fellowship with truth the second thing we do is to get in fellowship with others that love jesus again this is threaded throughout scripture of the gratitude of community of those that follow christ means we might need to realign our schedule to do that it's worth it. Fighting for joy this way is worth it. It might cost you something. It might cost you to realign your schedule to get in community with other people that love Jesus. It can be a family member or it can be a friend, but it has to be at least someone or someones that you're willing to journey with and say, this is what I need. This is, this is where I need encouragement. This is, this is how I, the Lord is, is growing me or bringing things to my attention. And do you do that for them for, as well? And then the last one, three ways to fight. So... Fellowship with truth, fellowship with other believers. And the last one is to be confessional. To be confessional. In the book of James, it says that if we confess our sins to one another, we're healed. It doesn't say if we confess our sins to one another, we, you know, check the box of what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't say if we confess our sins to one another, like, you know, we we please the Lord. I'm sure it does, but that's not the indication. The indication is if you confess your sins to one another, there's something for you there and it's healing it's healing maybe it's physical maybe it's emotional maybe it's everything in between those two or in both but there's something there for us in fact i was at a pastor's uh meeting uh, uh, in our community a couple weeks ago and there were about 70 of us together we were at a a hispanic uh church a spanish-speaking church off alexandria drive We were gathered, there were people there praying in Spanish, there were Chinese Christians praying in Mandarin, there were uh, Christians from all different denominations, American denominations and and different backgrounds and ethnicities and and all sorts of stuff. And one of the leaders challenged us to confess and pray for each other. And I was sitting by my friend Marshall Wilmhoff, who's a pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church on the north side of town. And um, You know, we kind of looked at each other like, really, are we going to do this out loud, like in a room with other people, you know? What are we gonna say? And, and the Holy Spirit just brought to my heart that literally that night, um, before I left to go to prayer meeting, like I had been impatient and rude to my wife and probably in earshot of our girls. And that wasn't me displaying what it means to love Jesus. And it wasn't displaying what it means to serve my family and to serve Christ. And I just said, I said, Marshall, like I'm carrying frustration and my family and my wife and myself and all these things. And I just need to get that out. And he just looked at me, he's like, okay, good, now pray. And I was like, what? And he's like, pray. You know, he's like, really direct. Pray. Confess, pray for one another that you might be healed. And he prayed for me and then he said some things that were going on in his life and I prayed for him and, and we walked away feeling totally different than we did when we started our interaction. Because at the end of our confession, God's promised that there's healing for us. And so if we're gonna be people that fight for joy, we're gonna have to be people that confess our deep need for Jesus. That confess our need for his provision. That confess our sin and the place that we've fallen short, that agree with him that the way I'm living life and the way that he designs for me to live life don't always add up. Now, I just want to end in our time together today kind of recapping this, that, that there are things that are constantly going to compete for your joy, constantly going to fight for your joy. And so if we're going to be people that also compete for our joy, We need to look at these things. Indicators that our joy is complete in Christ. We have great fellowship with God. We walk in that. We practice truth. We have fellowship with each other. uh, uh, We are aware of our sin and our desperate need for Jesus and we're people of confession. But if your life shows that you're actually unmoved by truth or you've grown kind of numb to it, that you're isolated, that you're oblivious to your sin or that you're in denial of your need, then like you might need to start fighting for joy in a different way. And three ways you can fight for it. Fellowship with the word of god and who he is fellowship with others that call on his name and lastly be confessional and here's where i'm going to lean in today as we move to a time of invitation as we move to a time of prayer as we move to a time of response i'm just going to ask you are there places in your life that you just need to confess and get off your chest and get off your heart maybe to your spouse maybe to the person you're here to, here today with maybe to your kids one of the hardest things i've learned to do in the 11 months that I've gotten to be a dad now is confess and repent to my kids. It can feel humiliating, but it's really just a cause for humility. that My kids need to see that even Andrew messes up and he needs to confess and repent. And at the end of that journey, it's not just like I've checked the box of what it means to be a Christian. At the end of that journey, I find healing. And so I just want to ask you today, bold ask, Are there things that you need to confess to one another today? Not just saying it to your mind, but saying it out your mouth to someone else that they might join you and pray for you and display a little bit of what it means to indicate the completion of our joy in this place, in this family. I just want to ask you to do that business with the Lord today. Confess, repent, repent and be healed, that our joy may be complete. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for just this practical truth in your word. may we be people whose lives indicate uh, the joy that you've made available to us and the joy that you love, that you take joy in giving us a life of joy. You take joy in um, giving us, a, a, you know, just the, the fruit of joy in our life. The, the question of, it shouldn't be, do we choose joy? The question should be, sh- do we choose Jesus? And because we choose Jesus, because we choose fellowship with you, fellowship with one another, fellowship with your word, recognition of our sin, a confession of our great need for you, Lord. Because we choose you, you give us joy. Thanks for giving us joy so many years ago in this manger. And thanks for giving us joy today. It's in your name we pray, amen.